Welcome to the Dementia Caregiver Talk Show, a podcast to help you navigate the senior care maze. Learn and laugh with us as we discuss creative solutions and ideas to common and uncommon dementia care challenges and how to make sense of the senior care industry and options even if you're not a professional. Hey, this is Valerie. Thank you for listening in on our show today. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that we had some minor technical difficulties during the recording of this episode. You might hear some background noises or occasional sound interference, and we apologize for that. But we hope you will enjoy this content nonetheless. Hello and welcome to the Dementia Care Partner Talk Show. My name is Valerie and we have a very special guest today. First off, the team today that's on is Joanne Westbrook, Tipa Snow and Greg Phelps. And we have our special guest today is Dr. Tia Powell. And Dr. Tia Powell is a professor of psychiatry and epidemiology and the director of the Montefiore Einstein Center of Bioethics. Her bioethics expertise spans health policy, dementia, end-of-life care, and decision-making capacity. And her new book is Dementia Reimagined, Building a Life of Joy and Dignity from Beginning to End. Welcome, Dr. Powell. I'm glad to have you on the show. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Hi. Good morning, Dr. Powell. Um, This is Joanne Westbrook, and I love the title of your book. It speaks volumes of all the things that people are uh, really concerned about. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess my first question to you would be, um, what actually brought you to study dementia? Well, like so many people across the country, or for that matter, across the world, uh, dementia is in my family. My grandmother had dementia. My mother had dementia. So I've certainly seen it up close as a family member. And I'm also a physician. I'm a medical school professor. And I had that really strange experience of feeling like all this training and expertise I don't know what I need to know to help take care of somebody. I don't really understand what dementia is. I don't understand the science of it. And I I certainly don't understand what's to do to help somebody. What really ought we to be doing? So I I kind of um, was really kind of chagrined and embarrassed. You know, why don't I know more about this? So I set out to learn more and to see if that more could be helpful to other people who might also have trouble thinking about this and finding their way through. And so the book is the result of those, uh, of those efforts. That's exciting. Um, and I understand exactly what you mean by that, whether it's professional or personal, uh, I'm dealing with both of those myself. Um, but I guess I would ask as a baby boomer myself, what are your thoughts about the future for our generation as to finding a cure? Well, this is kind of a, you know, a good news, mostly bad news answer I have for you. In my view, we are unlikely to find a cure in time for the baby boomers. It's not that people aren't trying. There's a lot of super smart people working really hard trying to do this. A lot of money has been invested. Those of you who, who follow dementia research will be aware that there have been a lot of great big trials, hundreds of millions of dollars invested in them that have failed, including one, another one um, less than a week or so ago, looking at, you know, if we bring down those amyloid plaques, can we make people think better? It just doesn't work. 
So that's one issue. We've really been going for many, many years now down a pathway that does not seem to be working, not for lack of trying. I also think that many scientists argue, I think correctly, that the changes in your brain start happening a decade or even more before you start having symptoms. And it takes a decade or more to get a drug made into an intervention. So you add up those decades, it's too late for the baby boomer. So that's the, that's the bad news. The good news is, it doesn't mean you have to despair. There is care. There are good things people are doing. I don't see it as a reason to despair. I think there's a lot to do. We could do better. We could certainly have even better care, and we could certainly do a better job of getting that good care out to more people, figuring out a way to supply it and pay for it and figure out how to make your community dementia-friendly. But, man, um, I, you know, so I think there's a reason to hope, but it's not because there's a cure coming for us. I, I hope for my kids, maybe their kids, uh, but, you know, not for me. Sorry about that, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And uh, to that point, I was wondering, you know, really to address the issue of care rather than cure, at least for those folks today and for those in the very near future, what, what would care look like to you and who do you think should provide that care? Right. Um, there will probably be different definitions of good care for different people based on their values and preferences and certainly based on where they are in the illness. One of the main lessons about dementia is that it goes on and on and on. It is a long-term chronic illness. And the vast majority of people with dementia are in the early phases. So I think for a lot of us, you say dementia, people picture in their minds a person who is at the very end stage, can't take care of herself at all, can't feed herself, maybe can't swallow, incontinent. And that's a true picture for some people, and we definitely need to provide good care for that person. But I'm actually more worried about the person who's sitting next to me in church or on the park bench. Most people with dementia look like that. They live at home, they're in their community. And because we've had this kind of doomsday scenario, the relatively small number of people that been, have been thinking about, yeah, what about that nice person who was next to me? I chatted with them on the park bench the other day. They seemed a little confused, but certainly capable of having a happy life. So what would that look like? It looks different for somebody in that phase versus somebody who is bed bound. I think some of the most exciting work right now is figuring out how to keep people both happy and safe in their home, which is where most people say they'd like to be. So maybe that'll be a family member, if you're lucky enough to have a family member. A lot of older people do live alone and don't have, they've survived all of their relatives or their relatives live, you know, literally in Timbuktu. They can't get there to take care of them on a day by day. So you know, the world has gotten both smaller and larger. You may be a long way away from your closest relative. Um, you can still talk to them. But so I think, you know, things that help us stay home Make sure that you haven't fallen down, you're not able to get up. Can we use technology? Can we use people? Can we think creatively? That's the beginning for me of what could today and can be. Yeah. I think that's a, a perfect way to, to make that statement. Um, for me, watching over the last 30 years, different people in the stages of dementia, it's the, the care that is truly what's important, the environment and how the skills are used. and for me, that was uh, when I found Tipa Snow, which changed everything and 
her knowledge and resources have changed people's lives around the world. So um, if Tipa if Tipa's on the line, I would love for her to uh, have some conversation with you also, if that's possible. I would love that. So hopefully the background noise won't be too awful. Um, I'm in the Orlando airport at the moment, which is not atypical. Uh, I'm usually in airports at some point or other in most days. So I'm really uh, excited that we have a physician who both discovered once you're dealing with it personally, what you learned as a physician may or may not be exactly what you need to know when you're talking about a day-to-day -day support structure. And that my question, one of my questions for you is where, what's happening, do you think, in the medical community, whether it's doctors, nurses, rehab professionals, um, social workers, you name the gamut of, of providers, what are we doing uh, objectively to try to get them more on board with this idea of what should care look like from very first signal, or maybe even before first signal, um, of how we should be supporting people living with dementia to end of life care and recognizing the art of letting go of someone rather than hanging on till the dregs are there, but not giving up on anyone. So what do you think is going on, if anything, from your perspective on, on medical or, or healthcare education to prepare people better? I think there are a couple of, um, I think there are some interesting developments, some more hopeful than others. For one, I think that there are physicians who are recognizing that traditional medical interventions that we think about have not been a great success in dementia. In fact, one of the big successes is that we're stopping using some medication that we've used in dementia for a long time. So there's been an enormous push, and the federal government's got involved in terms of regulating nursing homes to really make people use less of the antipsychotic drugs that were inappropriately used so long in dementia. You know, when people get uh, very agitated in dementia, that's, that's scary. It can be really tricky for staff. Sometimes even staff gets injured, but they really responded in a panic. The first thing that came to hand, the sort of easy solution was to slap medications, very sedating and often, frankly, very dangerous medication. Older people tend to be on a lot of medications already, but antipsychotics, they, they have appropriate uses in some settings, but one of them is not calming agitation. It makes it really likely that the person will be um, maybe drowsy. It makes them more likely to have a fall. That fall leads to the broken hip, which can really be the end, um, the end of the whole game. A frail elder who falls down and breaks that hip, that's it. Yeah, so Tia, what I hear you saying though is that's an individual physician or individual practitioner behavior. I guess I get frustrated because we, we talk about dementia friendly, but we don't talk about dementia competent care. And that's really where, um, to me, for families and for professionals, we're lacking this tie-in, which is like any other chronic illness, diabetes or anything else, heart disease. There's ways that we should be managing this to help people live well as long as they can live at that point and then come up with a new game plan when that changes. Um, and I can't make everybody get on the same bus. It wouldn't make sense. They don't belong on the same buses. However, not training people to be supportive in the right ways and then fund that care in a reasonable fashion, to me, speaks to bullheaded and not very thoughtful 
uh, when we're talking about a huge population of people who could be well served by a different philosophy. Yes, I guess. I agree with you. Um, thinking about the, the medication, I don't see that as just an individual provider issue. That's our system of medical care in the U.S. Absolutely, absolutely. You know what, what I'm, yeah. What I'm curious about is what I have observed, and I'm getting data in on, is that many practitioners and many providers who seek the practitioner out are now moving to anti-anxiety drugs rather than not using antipsychotics and using good skill because they both they don't have they don't have the knowledge about what good skill looks like how to do an interaction when you're when you're distressed tia you want to go home you do not want to be here you you don't think this makes any sense i am so sorry this is happening oh you've got to be really frustrated now do you think there's somebody we should write or somebody we should talk to about that that's a lot more effective than let me give you an anti-anxiety drug because it doesn't really deal with your distress level to me. I mean, that's my opinion. I, feel heard. I agree with you. It doesn't make you feel heard. Yeah. I think there's so many different issues. I think, personally, if you look at other developed nations, the U.S. famously spends a lot more on medical care and we have worse health outcomes. So when you come to think about that, it's because we love to do things like put people in the hospital, give them medications, whatever else we have, and we spend much less on kind of social service interventions, visiting nurse, training family caregivers. If you look at our peer nations, other sort of wealthy developed nations, they actually spend a lot more than we do on social service and training interventions and less on the healthcare. So if you look at where our health outcomes come at, it's really, it's because we don't spend enough on these other kinds of issues. So I agree with you completely. I think it takes an effort to train people, family caregivers or professional caregivers, to think about what is the problem for somebody who's agitated with dementia? What are they trying to accomplish? What is that behavior in service of? What's, what are the, what's the unmet need they're trying to tell you about? You may not like how they're delivering the message, but they're telling you something that you need to, you want to be helpful, you have to listen to. Is it, yeah. is it pain control? Is it fear? It must be yeah. incredibly frightening to find yourself in this place and you have no idea how you got there or what. You, why are you not at your company? What What's happened? Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the book you wrote. Uh, share, share with our audience a little bit about that book that you have out there because I think um, we work a lot with Dementia Action Alliance and you know certainly Dementia Reimagined is also a theme they have. So talk a little bit about your book and what you hope to do with it. What was, it, what was your mission when you wrote it? Well, it's a multi-part mission, but I, I think the overall message is I would like to change the way a lot of people think about dementia. I think people have a very kind of catastrophic idea. And, um, and to tell you the truth, you know, in my work, I've spoken to a lot of people about dementia and a surprisingly large minority of people, even experts, if you ask them, well, so what would you want if you had dementia? They will say, well, I, I think I might kill myself. And that crushes me. I hate to hear that. You know, people used to feel that way about cancer or even AIDS, and we would feel horrible if somebody today told us, well, I have breast cancer, so I'm just going to kill myself. Like, no, you don't have to do that. We have a lot to offer you. We can't cure everybody. And that's not really what medicine does for the most part. We manage illness, and there is care available in dementia. So I want to really rethink that catastrophic notion 
when you hear the word dementia, I don't want people to think of that last day. I want them to think about the nice lady on the park bench sitting in the sun and what she needs to sort of feel better about it. Because that could be, that could be me for sure. I'm at risk for dementia. It's in my family. The original title of the book was Try a Little Tenderness. And I changed it because I didn't want it to sound like I was judging family caregivers who already are doing as much as they possibly can. I meant the message for ourselves. What would you want? How could you be kind towards your future self with dementia? What would that person want? How could you make life a little bit easier and even not just tolerable, maybe joyful? What could you offer that person? So that's really the whole message of the book is what would it look like? And I go a lot through the history of dementia and the science of it and the policy and what we do, what works, what doesn't work so much, but just trying to really at the bottom line, trying to get people to start from a different point. Cause then I think it will help us get to where we need to go in terms of thinking about, okay, well let's, what do we need to do to smart up here? People worry about incontinence. Okay. Well, what can we do about that? We have better diapers. These are, they're not very reliable. They kind of look like baby diapers. They're sort of uncomfortable. You know, that's an engineering issue. That's not my area of expertise, but man, there are people putting new apps on cell phones, you know, <laughs> hundreds of times a day. Let's get a half a dozen of those incredibly smart kids and set them on diapers, you know? So I think we have technology. There's lots of uses for technology, lots of uses for all these smart people knocking around, trying to find out how to do good in the world. Let's aim them in this direction. That's really what I'm going for. Well, that's exciting. And I think what we'll do is wrap it up on this session, but I'd like us to consider doing a second session if you're up for it, uh, to talk a little bit more about a few different things. But thank you so much. And I'll let the other folks on the line go ahead and have a piece of the action too. Great. Nice to talk to you. All right. Absolutely. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>